This is the Content Creator Society, an organization that exists to unite and empower all content creators through inspiration and education. Each week, we bring you insights from content creators from around the world that will inspire you, educate you, and entertain you. We're all in this together. I'm Bonner Bulger. Remember when you were a kid standing at the edge of a swimming pool? You were all set to go swimming and you're building up the courage to jump in. You knew there would be a shock of cold, but after that shock, the fun would start. So you closed your eyes, took a breath, and jumped. Starting a company and venturing out on your own as a content creator can be a lot like taking that first plunge. Marta Trishuk took that leap of faith. I told my mom and dad, I'm like, I quit my job, we're doing this. With the help of a grant, made a bold decision to start her own agency. There is no plan B. And the reason being is there's no life raft, there's no plan B. She used her personal channels as an outlet of support to curate content that would help market her services. It was a couple of hundred people and they just kind of kept growing. So I caught up with Marta at her home and discussed what goes on behind the scenes as a young entrepreneur building a company in the online and content marketing world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode. Today, I am lucky enough to have Marta Trishuk. Marta, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? I'm not too bad, all things considered. seem to be surviving. <laughs> um, Marta, we, you know, we've known each other for, like, we met a long time ago, seven or eight, nine, it must be seven or eight, nine years ago now. But, and then our paths, <laughs> our paths seem to cross from time to time through, you know, different events and things like that in our neck of the woods. But why not give the audience a little bit of a 30,000-foot overview of uh, who you are, what you do, and sort of the community that you've created? Of course. It was interesting because I was actually thinking about it. I'm like, I think we met like eight years ago. I was thinking about it this morning before <laughs> yeah. our chat. So my background, originally, uh, my background is architecture and art history. I know a little bit of a leap from there. Um, actually, I started a blog in university. What now is... I started in 2008. So it's 12, 12 years ago. And, um, you know, the, the, there was no blogosphere or blogging industry yet. The content creation wasn't what it is. And I was literally doing, I was like, I need a hobby that doesn't require me leaving a library or doesn't require, you know, any kind of group activity. So that's what I decided to do. And as I kind of enjoyed the writing process and just sharing and building that small, I just really like connecting with people because at, at that time, on um, Blogger, there was a community of people where you kind of interacted with. And it wasn't the same numbers as we see now with influencers, where it's like millions. It was a couple of hundred people and they just kind of kept growing. So um, I, I suppose that I kind of stumbled into this industry. And then once I saw the opportunity in it, I kept growing. But I also have to say that what kind of got me to, um, to the business level in order for me to actually quit my job, which is that point I was working at an auction house, arts auction house, mm -hmm. uh, was a government grant where they kind of, it was, um, it was in the, I think it was a futurepreneur one where you have to be under 25. What it gave me is besides the fact some capital, um, it gave me a lot of guidance and like developing business plans, um, you know, mm -hmm. funding, all the things they did not teach you in school all the things I never expected that I would need. But here I am, a kid with not much to lose. I think I was like 23 at that point. And I was like, I told my mom and dad, I'm like, I quit my job, we're doing this. And they were like, what? So this is how I stumbled about into the content industry. 
And then as I was blogging, naturally, I started, you know, Facebook was already what it kind of the most prominent social media channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, that there was Twitter. And that was actually at South by Southwest when Twitter became kind of the the, 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 the giant. And then, you know, Instagram and then Pinterest and, you know, YouTube was already prominent. These channels started popping up. And naturally, because I was in that landscape, it kind of led me to not only adapting those channels in a very organic and natural way, but kind of being very interested in it. I've always had interest in marketing. My mother has a marketing background. So it's kind of always been a part of my life and conversations, but I never really expected myself to go into it. Now, fast forward 12 years, besides citing an agency, Trimus Group, uh, I've also began teaching digital marketing as a professor at Seneca College. So a complete circle, but um, that is kind of the one-on-one of how I'm here and what I'm doing. That's amazing. So when you started this, what was the first, you know, you got a government grant. What mm-hmm. were the obstacles, if you can remember, that you, know, you had to sort of overcome as you were sort of building this, 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 this community? You got the the money, I guess, was always obstacle number one to sort of free yourself up to do it. That's yeah. the obstacle for most people. But beyond that, what other obstacles do you think you faced to and that, that you sort of had to overcome? Well, the digital landscape wasn't what it is right now. There, there were really, nobody really saw it, the opportunity in it. Nobody really saw it as a next big thing. Everybody was like, oh, well, there's, there's this. There's online thing happening, but it's kind of going to go away. The magazines were still, you know, very prominent. The traditional form of um, marketing advertising was very prominent and also respected. I think the hardest thing was one was being young in business, but two being in an industry that first of all, wasn't an industry yet and actually getting somebody to give you a minute of their time Mm -hmm. to one, gain their respect or at least have them listen to you. That was probably the largest obstacle for me is that because it was a wild, wild west and in some capacity it still is now, mm-hmm. but it was just people didn't see the money behind it, the opportunity behind it. And then, of course, naturally, when you know a lot of online retailers started to become giants because of influencer in digital marketing, that's when everybody kind of slowly started jumping on a bandwagon. But before that bandwagon started moving, nobody wanted to touch it. <laughs> so when you, you so you, you sort of um, hit on this idea that some point there was a point where people, brands started to realize, oh my God, there's influencers and we can use these guys. Tell me about that. Uh, the, those first few opportunities you got to actually turn the idea of content creation into making some dollars. Interesting. I think I will never forget this. One of my first opportunities was somebody asked me to like link for a couple hundred dollars to my articles. At that point, I didn't understand the importance of SEO and how Mm -hmm. that would impact the ratings. So they were basically just building backlinks. Uh, I also quickly learned the price I could pay for linking to not such reputable websites. That was damage control two years from that opportunity. But uh, that was the first one. But I would say the ones that really kind of truly believed in me, the first one was um, Starwood Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the hotel chain before they got sold to Marriott. But they were one of the first major brands. And Cynthia Bond was the the person that I worked with. And she, I have to say, I really respect the fact that she actually gave me an opportunity to just express 
something. And mm. she just listened. And then she really opened up to it. And we had a working relationship for a couple of years. And then uh, the next one was, um, it was with Sherry Gardens. Mm -hmm. So Cadillac Fairview. Again, uh, Lisa Resnick, another incredible person who just gave me the time of day to listen. Those are the two main ones. It's interesting enough because Lisa and I, we've known each other kind of like you and I for 19 years. And, but she, we, our relationship started from that where I worked with her for six years, Cadillac Fairview. And then we transferred it to the agency side once I started. And we worked together on developing um, a, a great brand, digital brand for one of the Oxford Group properties, Hillcrest Mall. So um, the relationship that I built from day one are still the relationship that I very much sustain. Hmm. Uh, another one was La Vie and Rose, another Canadian brand. They were I was one of their first influences that they worked with. But those are the first few that truly gave me an opportunity that I think that I don't, I don't know that I think a lot of brands were not willing to risk. Yeah. Is there um, now, so you started an agency. Um, so you sort of built this, this community, you sort of got going and you started an agency. I imagine though, that that agency is now how you handle incoming requests. Cause I imagine as uh, you know, with 60 some odd thousand Instagram followers, you get requests and well, I know you do cause we've worked on some projects together over mm -hmm. the, uh, over the years. Yeah. How does how does that work for you? Is that the the re requests come in and you handle this as your small agency? And you know, how do you decide what you're going to work on? Is is there projects that you might say no to, based yeah. on the kind of work that they're asking you to do? What what kind of how does that work for you? I have to say, one of the hardest things, one of the hardest lessons in business I had to learn is how to say no to money. Mm. <laughs> Especially when you're younger and you're like, of course I'm willing to like yes. <laughs> Yep, I'll take this job and that job and this job. And then you realize there's only one of you and there's so many jobs. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then scaling, a lot of times the quality suffers when you scale too quickly. What I've learned how to kind of decipher between clients that I want to work with versus the ones that I don't think would be a good working relationship is truly approaching it as a partnership. Not a one-sided street where you employ me and I do the job. It has to be a give and take where mm. we have to see... We, we really have to see from both sides because I do believe that in order for to be very good at marketing, it's a very creative process. And a lot of time, if the relationship is not the right one, it can be a very crippling process as well yeah. for the creative individual. You know, a lot of times clients just, they, they have a lot of requests and expectations. So on one side, it feels like they hired you for your um, expertise, but on the other side, they really are not willing to listen to any of it. Um, I've had those experience. I've learned from them. I think we've all so had right that experience. So right now I start opening, <laughs> I start opening those dialogues and this, I, I relate it to like dating. Not everything's going to turn into a relationship. We go on a couple of dates. We have a few meetings and see if there's potential. It's a great way to look at that. I love that. <laughs> So over the years, you've got a lot of experience here. I mean, 12 years, you know, the common theme as I'm finding out as we, as, in, as I interview people is, you know, an overnight success is, you know, 12, 13, 14 years is what an overnight <laughs> success seems to be. What tip would you offer to somebody who is either getting into the content game and, or who is already there and you think is a useful tip? If there was one tip that you could, um, you could provide, what would that be? There is no plan B. Um, and the reason being is there's no life raft. There's no plan B. I think the moment, the moment you apply a hundred percent of yourself, where you see that there is no option of 
backing off or turning around or you know going back i think that's when failure doesn't become really uh, and it doesn't become a reality because you'd kind of learn how to pivot mm-hmm. especially during current times i'm going to go ahead and say i think it's very easy to feel defeated and as an entrepreneur especially um being in marketing it, it does have its highs and it has its really low lows as in probably any business but i can only speak for our industry so my best advice that I try to stick by and give to people is that plan B, don't have a plan B because you'll never be 100% in it. There's always going to be that little life wrap that you feel comfort in. Therefore, I think that you will never, failure will become an option at that point. But if you have no option, you're going to pivot. <laughs> you got to, it's a sink or swim. Got to pivot. I love it. That's great. And then I see, you know, your feed and everything else is very well put together. Your color you. palette is is outstanding. <laughs> it's very, um, extremely consistent. Is there a you know, a piece of software and or equipment that you is your go to piece to create that sort of consistency, or any other piece of equipment or hardware you might use to get your content out? Is there something? Is there one thing that you say, you know what, guys, this is what I use, and I sort of I lean on. Um. Thank you. I really appreciate that, especially coming from you because you create such beautiful content. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, I try to keep it as organic as possible. So I actually shoot most of my content um, on my phone. Mm-hmm. I, I do have fancy DSLR and equipment. It, it, you can't really capture all the moments in life with it. So my go-tos looking at my phone right now, I love Lightroom. For my editing, I love that. It's just for light, correctness, et cetera. It's perfect. In terms of filters, um, I'm going to say that color story is my favorite. I'll usually try color story and then I will fix it up on Lightroom. Um, I do believe I'm not over editing pictures because I think that Instagram especially is such a curated channel. There's kind of, there's, I kind of like the realness of certain things. So I don't want to over edit it. Uh, and those are the two two apps that I use consistently. That's you are not the first person to bring Lightroom Mobile to the table. It's been it is turning out to be one of the more popular ones, and I use it all the time. It's um <laughs> it's an unreal. They've done you know listen, I Lightroom on the desktop. I can't stand um, mm-hmm. for anybody who uses it and likes. I'm sorry, but <laughs> that's how I feel. But on on the iPad and or my phone, it's an unbelievably good tool to get things done. Well, listen, Marta, I like to keep these to 15 minutes and we're just about there. So thank you very much for giving up a little bit of your time. Uh, Where can people find you online? Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, I can be found online at withlovegabrielle.com, which is my blog. And then Marta Trishek, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Twitter and Pinterest. Um, Yeah, that's where I can be found. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. That was Marta Trishuk. You can find her blog, With Love From Gabriel, at www.withlovefromgabriel.com or on Instagram at Marta Trishuk. The Content Creator Society audio production is by Justin Dama. Original music is also by Justin Dama. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing and uh, leave some feedback in a review. You can now also follow the Content Creator Society on Instagram at Content Creator Society. Next week, we'll be talking with professional race car driver and entrepreneur Daniel Morad. He's got some great tips about creating engagement. 
Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.